Welcome, everybody, back to Live Longer, the podcast, as we continue our first series of The Art of Healthy Longevity. And this is a programme in conjunction with the Homerton Changemakers programme at Cambridge University, where I am a Homerton Changemaker ambassador. And of course, we're working hand in hand with Iona, a digital healthcare company that myself and a number of colleagues founded about a year ago to enable people live longer, healthier lives by giving them the right information at the right time to improve their outcomes. And today in studio, I have a fascinating gentleman. He is a Pulitzer Prize winning, no less, photojournalist, originally from Michigan, but now living in Kansas City, Missouri. He's extremely well known for his portraits and has, in fact, done a stunning portrait of Stephen Hawking's, and I'm sure we'll cover it. Um, He's photographed musicians. He's captured the music in his photography, landscapes that I just want to eat up. I was telling him before I came on air that his one of Tuscan tree is like a giant lollipop. You want to just eat it up. And there's fun in his work as well. And we're going to cover that. He's also got a serious side to him and he's spent quite a lot of time in working in charitable organisations, particularly in India and Kenya. And I certainly want to hear more about that. So join me in welcoming Mr. Dan White. Dan, welcome. Thanks so much, Millicent. It's a pleasure to be here chatting with you. Well, I'm honoured because you and I first met maybe about six, seven years ago. And um, at the time you had come to do some um, work at Cambridge and a colleague of mine had said, you must get your photograph taken by Dan White. And um, I remember rushing to the photo shoot and I thought I looked like the wreck of the Hesperus. And you said, oh, no, you're fine. You don't need to get your hair done. Well, that photograph makes me look like a million dollars. So I'm thanking you ever since for that photograph. (laughs) My pleasure. I, uh, not everybody says I make them look like a million dollars, but I'll take it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, look, I'm not the only Irish girl that you photographed. Tell me about the Dairy Girls. Uh, well, I actually didn't photograph the Dairy Girls, but it's a show that I'm quite fond of. And I was in Dairy in 2019. I was driving, I was there for another shoot and I was driving into Dairy and it's pouring rain and I'm trying to find my hotel you know, I'm driving on the opposite side of the road, which is always a bit of a challenge. And I'm going around and around trying to find this, the entrance to the hotel. And I happen on this mural of the Dairy Girls that someone had painted. And it just made me laugh and lightened my mood tremendously. So that was my introduction to Dairy and the rest of it was just great after that. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, and that was a, a great series and politically charged, but you captured the spirit of, of that show, certainly in that um, photograph. But, you know, this doesn't happen by accident that you're driving along the road and you can create a stunning photograph. I mean, how did your career evolve and, and were you always gifted behind the lens? Well, I, I started quite young. My cousin was a, a, a good amateur photographer and he introduced me to the dark room, and it was just magic watching prints develop in the tray. And I was sort of, sort of hooked after that. And I, I went ahead, and I uh, he helped me set up a dark room. I was about fourteen or fifteen years old, and I did photography in high school. And I discovered it was a wonderful way to see what different people's lives were like, even if it was for a few hours or a few days so that was my that was kind of my entree and then I went to journalism school 
in Missouri, and that's kind of how I ended up in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. But for me, the, the joy is just the people that I get to meet, the things I get to see and photograph. It's literally everything from pig farmers to presidents and people like Stephen Hawking and fellows at Cambridge. So it's it's been kind of a wild ride. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, when you say um, you can see what lies beneath, are you naturally curious about people? Because some of your portraits, it almost feels when I look at them that you, you know something about these people. I mean, there's one really stunning one, uh, Benson, I think it's entitled, and it's... Um, an amazing gentleman with such character and spirit and power in his eyes with his arms crossed over his chest. What was going on behind your head in that? That photograph comes from a series I did of boys, lost boys of Sudan, which is kind of a long story, but to to make it shorter, it was about 2000 or 1998 there was a group of boys that gathered together in Sudan as, as the civil war was raging there. And they, they walked a long way, ended up in a, a, a refugee camp. And as the United Nations Human Rights Commission began to learn about them, there were different places in the world that people were sort of adopting them and bringing them over. Kansas City was one of them, and my neighbor was a mentor to one, and he was telling me about the story, and I was just fascinated. So I did a series of Lost Boys that were based in Kansas City. There was about 40 of them, and they're just so beautiful looking. One of the things that I love is really the color of their skin and the way it reflects light. And So I asked them all to just be photographed shirtless. And that's, that's kind of how that photograph uh, became what it was. Mm, it's really, really powerful. And I mean, do you think that your background as a, a journalist, you know, your natural curiosity about this happening and these gentlemen coming from Sudan, you know, enabled you to see the power in, in photographing these subjects? Absolutely. I think curiosity is the perfect word when, whenever I see something that I find interesting, I want to know more about it. No question. And that same thing happened to me when I was working in Australia. I was working for the Conservatorium of Music. And I took a side trip to the outback and became just fascinated with the Aborigine culture and wanted to learn more about it. And the next time I came back, I brought a little portfolio. I went to some of the agencies that uh, helped the Aborigines, and I told them what they want, what I wanted to do, a series of portraits, and they helped me from there. So curiosity is key. And I I loved, I just like to learn new and interesting things. Mm, That's interesting. But also you're helping the rest of the world learn it, and you are immortalizing all of this work as well. And we're all about live longer, but, you know, capturing something on camera does enable that memory live longer. And in a time now where people are losing their loved ones through the pandemic, I think this is is incredibly important that we have those memories captured in a beautiful way. Oh, I agree. I, I can't tell you how many times I've done a portrait of a friend's aunt, grandmother, father, 
and years later they'll say, oh, my, my mom passed away. We absolutely are so happy that you did that portrait of you. I think everyone should have beautiful photographs of their loved ones. Mm. Very important. Yeah, a very important um, person that you did photograph, of course, was Stephen Hawking, Professor Stephen Hawking at Cambridge University. And I love that photograph. Now, it's very different um, from other photographs, for example, Annie Leibovitz, where she captures him in the chair. And that, too, is an incredibly powerful image. But yours is very different. So what made you just focus in on his face? Well, for me, about Hawking, it was his humanity and the thing that that he's brought to the world, his humanity. And by taking the chair out, essentially, that was my way of presenting his humanity. I mean, I have some other photographs of him from that same session where he, he's not smiling, he's, you know, he looks uh, more dour and so on. But the smiling part, uh, to me, was, was the important part there. And it, that's totally a photographer's decision or an artist. How do you want to portray this person or this scene? What's in the photograph and what isn't in the photograph? Very important. Yeah. And you said to me that, you know, you don't put many captions or writing with your photographs, but sometimes you'll put a caption to tell people what they don't see. I think that's quite powerful as well. Well, I'm a big fan of words and pictures working together. My favorite thing is to work with a writer, a good writer, and he and I or she and I, we're examining a subject together. I discover things and I tell the writer about it. The writer discovers things and they tell me about it. So when words reinforce the pictures and tell you more than you can see in the photographs, that's the best kind of storytelling. Mm, a story. Yes, a story through photographs and words. I like that. That's it's really, really good. And, you know, you tell that as well with, with um, music, too, because of your work photographing the um, jazz musicians in Kansas City, which is you were telling me, I, I didn't really even realize all of the amazing stars, Diana Washington, Ella Fitzgerald, who graced the halls of Kansas City. Yeah, Kansas City. When I moved to Kansas City and 1981, I began to learn of its jazz heritage. Jazz sort of migrated from New Orleans, where it was Dixieland, and then it came to Kansas City, where it was more swing and the big bands. So Charlie Parker was from here, Ben Webster, Big Joe Williams, uh, a lot of great stars. And by the time I started photographing them, some of the really big stars had, had passed away, but the people that I ended up doing portraits of, they played with everyone. They played with all the great players. And even though most of the my subjects never really made it big as jazz stars, they loved the music so much that it was something they did their entire lives. It was funny. So I started photographing some of the older cats. They like to call themselves cats. You know, they would have health issues and so on. But when they got on that bandstand, I got to tell you, they came to life. So it, it, it made me realize really how important music and art is to longevity and to feeling good. 
Mm, absolutely. And, you know, there, there's different perspectives on that because we, we interviewed a very famous architect, Chris Wilkinson, and he was explaining how as an architect, there's such pressure and you, you could almost see how it might shorten one's life if you get a project wrong. And he uses art itself, painting, to counterbalance that. And we've heard that um, from another person that I've interviewed who's a very, very famous fashion model. And now she's actually used meditation to counterbalance the negative effects of that art form, which other people take pleasure from. But for the artists themselves, it can be difficult. Now, do you find that as a photographer, as a photojournalist? Yeah, I, I do at times. Depends on the kind of project, the client, what what their expectations are, because sometimes they have this idea in their head that something is is there in a subject and it just isn't. And it's a little hard to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. But in answer to your question about things that I use to relieve some of the pressure, I'm a huge fan of music. And so music is really important in my life. But I get inspiration as a photographer. I get inspiration from nature, from architecture, from film, from paintings and sculpture. I love to wander around art galleries and museums and look at something and go, ooh, I, 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 can, I can do something with that. I can take that idea and incorporate it into the images that I make. For instance, one of the photographs of my jazz musician it sort of came from a play I saw about Billie Holiday. So I was seeing this one woman show on Billie Holiday, and she was up there with a, with a, a mic from the, probably would have been from the 40s, and I thought, that's a wonderful thing to build a photograph of this jazz singer that I knew. Because I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to do with her? And Billie Holiday, she'd wear these boas, and so the idea came together. And I ended up tracking that the actual mic down from that play. Hmm. And I borrowed it, and I built this photograph of a woman named Queen Bay around that mic. And it, it, you know, it gives her something to hold on to, to sing into. It was really effective. Amazing. Your journalistic skills coming into action there, Dan, I think. But also you told me that, you know, you could be just walking down the street and you see somebody and you told me a story about you've chased after somebody and jumped on a bus and asked to photograph them. And I love that. So you're catching natural people in natural circumstances, aren't you? Well, for me, photographing real people and particularly working people, average people, that's my favorite thing to do, to, to just give them, I'm not sure a voice is necessarily the right word, but to give them some recognition to give them some dignity and to make them a little bit special. I went back to my hometown of Flint, Michigan a few years ago, which was having problems with the water being tainted by lead pipes, a considerably longer story. But I went up there and there was a lot of media doing, they were doing stories about the poisoned water, which needed to be done. But I decided to go the other direction. And I did a series of portraits and interviews to celebrate the people of Flint, Michigan. We didn't ignore entirely some of the problems that the city had been having, but it was a way of saying, hey, you guys are all, you're resilient, you're sticking it out, you're hanging in there, and we're going to celebrate you. And I had a big show, and I invited them all, and they're 
their families were just thrilled to see these great big prints hanging on the wall with little stories. We did little interviews with each of them too. And I, I love doing that kind of stuff. I'm sure that really helped their sense of well-being and dignity, as you say, which is so important to, you know, living a longer, healthier life. You know, what I'm all about as a doctor, obviously, I practice the best medicine, I embrace the best science. But what this podcast is about is how do we help people to do the little things that help them feel better? It's not just about the drugs and the science. It's about the little things in life, exactly as you've outlined. I'm a big fan of little things and simple things being really important in, in people's lives. It wasn't a big deal for them, but there's a portrait hanging on the wall and they bring their grandkids and it's just a delight to watch. That's, that's worth the, that alone is worth the hundreds and hundreds of hours of work to create this body mm. of work. Yeah. That, as you say, the little things and the simple things, because I was going to ask you next, you know, not everybody has an eye for the camera. Not everybody has a beautiful camera and the facilities to do the work that you do. So what can the average person do to bring photography in their lives? Is it just about Instagram or what? how, how can we bring photography into our lives? No, I, I think the biggest thing that you can learn from a photographer is how to look a little more deeply as you wander through your life. Look where the light is beautiful. Look down, look up. I mean, that's what photographers do that normal or that average people don't really do that often. We're looking for that little thing that's special in a scene that you don't get to see. I think photographers see the world a little bit differently and usually... It's just a way of, of, of seeing things more completely. You know, you can use your phone. Phones are great. You can use a little camera. It's more about what you see and even just moving a little bit to the left, moving a little bit to the right, getting down lower, getting up higher, looking at perspective and looking where the light is beautiful. Because the first, the first part of photography is photo, and that comes from the Latin for light. Mm. Yeah, light. Light is such a big theme in everything, isn't it? And I think that's right, you know, to give to give people the inspiration that they too can see things um, and to stop and slow down, I think, is the message. And maybe that's what the pandemic has done to us. It's made us slow down and look and observe and reflect on our lives and see where we're going and what direction that we really want to take our lives in. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, slowing down is really is really a good thing and you know put the phone down i i, I see people in places I, I was i was in a diner not too long ago maybe a couple of years ago and i'm sitting at the counter and having breakfast and there was just this fabulous scene in front of me of these waitresses going back and forth and grabbing food and, and i didn't have my camera at the time but i was thinking this is really interesting to watch this dance between the short order cooks and the waitresses and be moving in this small space and everybody else sitting at the counter was all they were all looking at their phones nobody seemed to be noticing this really fabulous interaction in front of them 
Mm. Well, I suppose you're trained to do that. And in some ways, I certainly identify because we're trained. And one of my professors say, you won't pick up anything that you're not looking for. So we're trained to look for what we want to find, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, no interview of you, Dan, would be complete without me asking you to tell us a little bit about, you know, how you came about to win a Pulitzer Prize in photography. I mean, that's an incredible achievement. And at such a young age. Well, it was... Uh... Not the photograph I'm most proud of by any means, but the hotel, the High Regency in Kansas City, they would have a tea dance on Friday nights. They'd bring a, about a 10-piece orchestra in, and they'd serve cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, and it was really quite a lovely thing. But the hotel had these walkways they called skywalks, and they were suspended on some rods, and one of the skywalks collapsed. It was filled with people and fell on the ground floor and it killed 135 people. And so what I got a Pulitzer for, it was the next morning they'd cordoned off the area the police had and they weren't letting anybody in. They kept saying, I was working for the newspaper at the time, the Kansas City Star. And they were saying, oh, we're going to let you in. We're going to let you in. We're going to let you in. And they never did. So I I got a little a notion to go back to the newspaper office, which was only about six or eight blocks away. I put on my lab coat, which was a long white coat that I wore to keep chemistry from ruining my clothes. And I put a camera under each arm and I just walked in a side door and nobody said anything to me. So that's how I, that's a, genius. So it was more resourceful, more resourcefulness than anything. But uh, that's how I happened to get some of the images that were part of the Pulitzer team. Well, I'm sure any of your images subsequent to this are worth a Pulitzer Prize because you really are talented. And, and I, I love, I enjoy looking at your work. It, it tells a story to me as the person to looking at it. So that's good. I mean, but you, you don't just focus on commercial projects and Pulitzer Prize. You do a lot of pro bono work as well. And, you know, when I looked at your work from the orphanage in India, I mean, you've got these amazing smiling children. I mean, they must have touched your hearts to get pictures like that. Oh, very, very, very much so. I, I, I met two Indian doctors in Michigan. They, they had started this orphanage in Vijayawada. And they were asking me, you know, would you be interested in coming over? I said, sure, absolutely. So I lived at the orphanage for 10 days. These girls were amazing. They went to school six days a week. They rode in a bus for an hour each way, there and back. They studied hard. They did chores. It, it was really fun to spend time there. And to give you an idea, I, I happened to celebrate my birthday when I was there, and they'd like to – They what they do is they, they found that out. I'm not quite sure how, but they found out it was my birthday, and they made me these cards, these wonderful cards, these handmade cards. And what they do for everyone's birthday is they they clap the number of times how old you are, and of course they ran out of gas really fast <laughs> with me because they're used to <laughs> they're used to eight year olds and twelve year olds. But yeah, it was it was really a, a great experience. You, you just don't know what to expect when you you enter a situation like that. But they let me photograph just about anything I needed. It was 
I lived there for 10 days. Wow. Well, you, you can see that you had a, sort of a relationship with them. That was wonderful. And then you moved on to Kenya and you, you've got some quite deep work with the women in, in, um, in, in Kenya there as well. Yeah, it was a, another, it wasn't an orphanage, but it was, uh, this woman in San Francisco started Kenyan Women and Children. She had been to Kenya and sort of fell in love with it and fell in love with the people, as did I. I it was, these were all, or mostly Maasai people who are just funny and warm and really uh, amazing folks. And and so I w- would go to the schools and photograph that. And one of the things that this woman and her group of all volunteers discovered was that the young girls really needed help understanding menstruation and the menstruation cycle and and so on. So they would make these little kits, backpacks, and teach them how to use the proper tampons and so on. So it was great. That was, that was, that was a big thing that they would do. They would go to different schools in the area and do that as well as providing kids with books and providing schools with the things that we sort of take for granted like books and blackboards and things like that. So, and I just be, I really became good friends with a Maasai gentleman who is working with this woman, great guy. And we're arranging to do some more things like kind of the Maasai warriors. So I'm looking forward to that. And are you fundraising for that, Dan? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So you'll have to give us your Just Giving page. We'll put it up because, you know, many people might like to donate to some of these wonderful causes. Yeah. You know, I had this great opportunity. He arranged for me to photograph the Maasai warrior manhood ceremony last March. They only do it every 10 years. What is this um, ceremony? Well, it's a manhood ceremony. It's when they, and it's, a, it's three or four weeks long, and they all gather a thousand of them at a time. Mm. And they go through certain rituals, and I was, I was very excited. The visual potential was really spectacular i had my ticket and the pandemic hit and they didn't do it and i didn't go so oh you'll have to definitely revisit that one yeah well look dan it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you i could talk to you all day and oh we never touched on the final thing we have to have the final word about the lovely gentleman sitting at the crossroads in clonakilty in west cork in ireland how did you get Uh. him you know, I was traveling with some friends of mine in Ireland on one of my trips to Ireland, and we were just driving along, and there he was sitting in this little hay bale chair that he had made. Oh, I had to stop. So I stopped and chatted him up. His name was Eddie Draper. <laughs> and I said, uh, he was, I think he was in his 80s, and he said, yeah, every day he would just come down and and sit and enjoy himself and watch the traffic go by, and so I, I love that kind of serendipitous, you know, just, just finding those kinds of things. It's, it was just delightful. It sort of epitomized a moment that resonated with me for sure. 
Well, look, Dan, thank you again for for coming on the show today. Really appreciate it. You've inspired everybody with your not only your beautiful works, but your insights. And uh, I think I have a better understanding of what goes on behind the lens of a camera and how photography can actually help us immortalise our loved ones. It can capture moments in culture. It can promote important political and indeed social causes, all of the things we've touched on in just a very short period of time. So thank you so much. Millicent, absolutely my pleasure and thank you. Thank you very much and thank you to all my listeners for tuning in today. I hope you've enjoyed um, the conversation with Dan as much as I have and learned as much as I have. And if you want to give us any feedback or get in touch, please feel free to email us at hello at livelongerthepodcast.com and tune in next week for another wonderful guest, Lisa Butcher, one of Britain's top models. In fact, she hosted a show called Britain's Top Model, but she graced the front cover of Elle in her early teenage years and she's become a transformational therapist um, and jewellery maker and she's really embracing all of the talents that she's been given to actually help people live longer, healthier lives. So that will be an interesting discussion. Thanks for listening.